Ahlan wa sahlan. Welcome to Arab Woman Talking in English. Unit fit Arabi and un bit Nederlands. Linatiki Lugal Arabia. Tabiuna ala SoundCloud bint Ibrahim. As for Arab Woman Talking here, she will be talking bi monthly, inshallah, covering a variety of topics from published and rehearsed works to streams of consciousness, live, wild recording, and everything in between. Essentially, it is the spoken journal of a woman as she navigates through life, through the maze of self and society, looking for meaning through the eyes of an eco-feminist, exploring language, symbolism, and dreams, observing nature and the lives of bees. As for today, Arab woman will be talking about feminism, al-Qaddafi, and C-sections. Without further ado, I turn it over to you, Arab woman, tafaddali. This is Arab woman talking on a rainy summer day. It's a beautiful time of year. The young of animals and birds are starting to venture on their own, exploring the world. Some birds are still young, quacking and calling for their parents for food. And these poor mother and father bird going hain and veer to feed these hungry mouse. They don't have to be told how to do it. It is instinct. They don't have to read books about it. They don't have to take courses. They don't have to fall in all kinds of dilemmas of what best to do. It is instinct. They know what is right. But how about us? Do we know what is right? What is wrong? And who decides? If we look at nature, we can find the answers very easily. I think of the kukuk. I have something against the kukuk. I have to say I do discriminate against him. But you know what, what, what a kukuk does? He, or she, or I'm not sure, yeah, the she, I guess, the mother, stops her egg in the nest of someone else, lets them feed it, take care of it. This kukuk, like, kills the other ones, eats everything, sometimes it's bigger than the main parent. But the parent, the bird, the mother, she still feeds it. Because she sat on it, she thinks... This is also my child. She feeds it even if it devours everything. We do that too in our society, feeding what might not be good for us as a humanity. Now, who am I to be talking about parenting? I don't even have kids. And it was a choice. Of course, as an Arab woman, You're never off the hook. They keep bugging you and bugging you until you reach menopause. Even in Western countries, in a taxi in Las Vegas, of all places, a 15-minute ride, the taxi driver, a woman from the Philippines who's been living in the U.S. for several years, struggling to raise her children as a single mom, encourages me to have children. Ya li sukhriyat al-qadr. According to some people, a woman is not a woman until she has children. I don't ascribe to that theory. 
women should have the right to choose. But if they do decide to have children, then they should do it right. Hey, look, you don't sign up for a PhD for four years and after a semester think, okay, that was good. You give it over to someone else and you, you go get like a full-time job doing something else and forget about it until it graduates. <laughs> In the coming half hour or so, I'm going to be exploring a few concepts using the excerpts from Al-Qadhafi's Green Book. Now, Al-Qadhafi, for those of you who do not know him, is or was the leader of Libya. He gained power in a coup d'etat in 1969 and was murdered in a revolution uprising in 2011. I think of 1969 and the hippie movement. 2011, the Arab Spring. Al-Qadhafi was an eccentric character. I remember him as a child on TV during Mu'tamarat al-Qimma al-Arabiya, the Arab summit. He always wore his traditional clothes and refused to stay in fancy Western hotels. He set up his tent outside with his entourage. His personal guard were composed of women. Now, at that time, I thought that was super cool. Al-Qadhafi was a character. He really spoke up his mind. I admired him for that. I did not know about his dark side. Things like closing churches and kicking foreigners and Jews out of the country. But it cannot be denied that he did some well, visionary um, moves in the beginning of the formation of his government. One of those was the uh, establishment of the Revolutionary Women's Formation that was to combat restrictions on women. This led to the introduction of a law in 1970 to affirm equality of the sexes and insist on wage parity. Later, another law was instituted that criminalized the marriage of females under the age of 16 and ensured that a woman's consent is a necessary prerequisite for marriage. Now, maybe people in the Western world would think, yeah, well, that's normal. But in the Arab world, that's quite ahead of its time. There are some countries until this day that allow the marriage of little girls. Now, al-Qadhafi compiled his political ideology in what he called the Third International Theory, summarizing it in three volumes, published between 75 and 79. These were collectively known as the Green Book, Al-Kitab Al-Akhdar. One chapter in specific talks about women. This is how it begins. It is an undisputed fact that both man and woman are human beings. It follows as a self-evident fact that woman and man are equal as human beings. Discrimination against woman by man is a flagrant act of oppression without justification. Now, I would say that's a very good beginning. Later on, he follows, and I will read this and then uh, read what's in between, just so that you know where we're heading. 
The question is not whether women should or should not work, for this is a ridiculous materialistic presentation of the case. Work should be provided by the society to all able members who need work, men and women, on the condition that individuals work in their own fields and not be coerced into carrying out unsuitable work. Now, Al-Qaddafi and I probably disagree on uh, the role of women. He, he uh, does place uh, women who don't want to have children as abnormal, which I do not agree with. But there's quite a lot that I agree with with this man, which to my, to my amazement, a few years ago I mocked the man in a play, quoting a line that he says, Women menstruate, and men do not menstruate. And I thought, yeah, great, thanks a lot. That's definitely enlightening. But then when I actually read that, the whole chapter, I thought, no, it's not so crazy what he says. Women are females, and men are males. According to gynecologists, women menstruate every month or so, while men, being male, do not menstruate or suffer during the monthly period. A woman, being a female, is naturally subject to monthly bleeding. When a woman does not menstruate, she is pregnant. If she is pregnant, she becomes, due to pregnancy, less active for about a year, which means that all her natural activities are seriously reduced until she delivers her baby. When she delivers her baby or has a miscarriage, she suffers puripurium, a condition attendant on delivery or miscarriage. As man does not get pregnant, he is not liable to the conditions which women, being female, suffer. Afterwards, a woman may breastfeed the baby she bore. Breastfeeding continues for about two years. Breastfeeding means that a woman is so inseparable from her baby that her activity is seriously reduced. She becomes directly responsible for another person whom she assists in his or her biological functions. Without this assistance, that person would die. The man, on the other hand, neither conceives nor breastfeeds. End of gynecological statement. Al-Qadhafi is often criticized for reducing the gender or differences between man and woman to physiological differences. However, physiological differences cannot be denied. It is a fact that women menstruate and men do not. It is also a fact that some women, when they menstruate, have severe pain that inhibits their activity or their ability to do work. There are actually some countries in the world that have taken this into consideration. I read something yesterday and I cannot find the resource. Always write down the resources to find them again. That in um, the Soviet Union, there was laws for menstruation since 1920 or so. I'm not sure about how it is right now. But car currently, it seems that there are some countries that do take that into consideration, including Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Indonesia, China, um, Zambia, and there are some companies also around the world that actually do offer women uh, days off during their periods without stigma attached. 
Interestingly enough, this is actually a matter of debate in the feminist circles. Again, I don't understand that. Of course, it could be abused as a law, or maybe they're embarrassed of, of having to talk about menstruation, or they're in denial of this menstruation. There was a time when women gathered in red tents to menstruate together. They did not do any work, no cooking, no activities. They retreated. There was a time that it was believed that women during menstruation were at the height of their power. But now it's become a dirty thing. People can't even talk about it in some circles. And I'm also guilty. When I was young, I was a swimmer, and uh, I had a swimming match. And on that day, I got my first period. I used to always get first place, and on that day, I got second place. Not to mention the whole story of how I actually managed to go swimming because you don't, you just really don't do that. So I associated menstruation with weakness at the time, thus associating my femininity with weakness. Our mind is a very powerful thing. Due to that, I was actually having trouble getting my period for several years. Through everything from acupuncture to diet to meditation to dance to psycho-spiritual growth, I managed to get my period back. A few years ago in the Netherlands, I went to see a gynecologist and she was giving me the options about contraceptions. One of them was a lolab, the uh, spiral. This is the... Um, the thing that you, you put inside you that's made out of copper, I forget the English name. And she says the, the, the voordeel, the advantage of using this, is that you don't get your period anymore. Don't get my period? What do you mean? I've worked so hard on getting my period. I love my period. I want to get my period. This woman looked at me like, I am just crazy. Love your period? That disgusting debilitating thing. How sad, how far we are from nature. There was a time that the woman was worshipped because she bled without dying. If a man would bleed so much every month, he's gone. Another taboo and a point of uh, disagreement is breastfeeding. Two years breastfeeding, how old-fashioned, someone might say. But is it? Studies have shown that children who are breastfed are healthier and have stronger immunity systems. But in the modern time, that's very old-fashioned and uh, not done. If a woman breastfeeds for three months, then thank God. Anyway, the doctor says, you know... It's not so important. Your child is not getting enough nutrients from your milk. Just give him the bottle. Not enough nutrients. Mother's milk is the most nutritious thing there ever is. But it doesn't cost any money. And thus, it is not so encouraged. And even if there is some kind of deficiency in the nutrients of, of the mother's milk, then why don't we look at the source of the problem? Might it have to do with her diet, with her hormones, with her state of mind? No. Just give the baby the bottle and move on with your life.
And if a woman is forced to go back to work, then she has to stop breastfeeding. And if she still wants to give her baby her milk, she has to pump. Attaching herself to a pumping machine. I can imagine that one must feel like a cow in a factory. Yes, it's better than nothing. But it's not just about the milk. Feeding, nursing a child, is about holding the child. The child can feel the heartbeat of the mother. Drink the milk from the mother, the mother goddess, the giver of life. The bond that grows to a child and mother is like nothing else, and it is only strengthened through breastfeeding. Some countries have even criminalized breastfeeding in public. If I am not mistaken, is Italy one of them? Do let me know in the comments. A woman does not need to flaunt her breast to feed her child. Not at all. It is a sacred and private experience. But she should be able to do it when it is needed. To quote Al-Qadhafi, To dispense with the natural role of woman in maternity, nurseries replacing mothers, is a start in dispensing with human society and transforming it into a merely biological society with an artificial way of life. To separate children from their mothers and to cram them into nurseries is a process by which they are transformed into something very close to chicks. For nurseries are similar to poultry farms into which chicks are crammed after they are hatched. Even poultry, like the rest of the members of the animal kingdom, need motherhood as a natural phase. Therefore, breeding them on farms similar to nurseries is against their natural growth. Even their meat is artificial than natural. Meat from mechanized poultry farms is not as tasty or nourishing. And I have to agree that indeed wild meat is tastier than farmed meat and healthier, just like organic food grown in real soil naturally is more nutritious and more flavorful than the, the whatever the food that we call food nowadays, it's not even food anymore. Which reminds me about another thing that I appreciate about uh, what Al-Qadhafi tried to do, and that is in the beginning of his government also, that he instituted what he called a green revolution, aimed to increase agricultural productivity and make Libya self-sufficient in food production. And of course, being the naturalist that I am, I love that. 2020, what do we say? Think global, eat local. That means go back to our lands and restore them. But back to the topic at hand. What kind of society have we created, co-created, that does not give the chance of a mother to nurse her child as needed? The most civilized and advanced country in that regard is Sweden. For maternity leave, they give, according to Dataface, so again, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments, Sweden tops the list on both sides, mandating up to 68 weeks paid maternity leave and 18 weeks paid paternity leave funded by Social Security. Wow. 
that's amazing. It's just amazing. Of course, you could argue they are a Western, wealthy country, and people don't have too many children. It's true, it would have been much more difficult to, to implement such a law in Al-Sa'id, in Egypt, for example, where people are still having uh, quite a few kids. So there is, of course, a role for uh, social responsibility and raising awareness about limiting the number of children. Nonetheless, it is quite impressive. Other countries with reasonable and pretty high uh, maternity leave uh, days are Estonia, Croatia, Bulgaria, United Kingdom, Australia, Ireland, Norway starts getting less, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Poland, then Hungary starts getting less, then from Italy and onwards is less and less and less until we reach the least, the United States of America, being the only developed country with no federal paid paternal leave policy, but mandates 12 weeks unpaid leave for each parent. Unpaid leave. Unpaid leave. 12 weeks of unpaid leave after carrying a child in your womb for nine months. Unpaid leave where every day you wonder about how you're going to eat the meal for the next day. Not everyone can afford that. As for the Middle East, it's hard to find charts giving us uh, rates or dates or census. However, I have connections in Jordan, so I can get some information. In Jordan, according to Qanun al-Amal, the labor law, a woman gets 10 weeks, and Nizam al-Khidma al-Madaniya, the uh, civil uh, service uh, law, she gets 90 days of maternity leave. Do you think it is paid? But, um, mom, you have to leave a comment and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think it's paid. I guess in Jordan we're sitting pretty ahead. And we're actually ahead in another area, and that is the establishment of nurseries in ministries, organizations, and companies. And I am proud to say that I have my mother to thank for that. It was in 9780 that she was uh, to go back to work at the uh, Ministry of Labor. I was still a nursing child, so she established the first nursery in a governmental institution. After that, it became a law for governmental institutions and uh, ministries and so forth. In the private sector, also, Companies with more than 30 employees, including men and women, are required to have a nursery so that a woman can go back to work and still nurse her child. Nurse, nursing, nursery. In Arabic, a nursery is hadana. Hadana min al-hudn. Hadana, hudn. Where is my best friend? Here we are. Hadan. Hadana. Dhamma ila sadrihi. Anaka. To embrace, hug, cuddle, enfold, nestle, snuggle, clasp in the arms, take in the arms, press to the bosom. Hadana. 
Rabba, to nurse, dry nurse, nurture, raise, rear, bring up, breed, foster, cradle. Hadanat ta'irul bayt. For birds, to hatch, brood, incubate, sit or set. Hadana, nursery, a place where someone is raised and held. I find it flabbergasting that such laws don't exist in countries in Europe like the Netherlands, where I am currently. This is where I wonder, what is the feminist movement doing here? Wow, we are already emancipated, they're saying. This feminism thing is, is passé. Oh yeah, is it? According to Qaddafi, all societies today look upon women as little more than commodities. The East regards her as a commodity to be bought and sold, while the West does not recognize her femininity. The belief, even if it is held by a woman, that she carries out physical labor of her own accord, is not, in fact, true. She performs the physical work only because a harsh, materialistic society has placed her, without her being directly aware of it, into coercive circumstances. She has no alternative but to submit to the conditions of that society, even though she may think that she works of her own accord. In fact, the alleged basis that there is no difference in any way between men and women deprives woman of her freedom. To ignore natural differences between men and women and to mix their roles is an absolutely uncivilized attitude, hostile to the laws of nature, destructive to human life, and a genuine cause for the wretchedness of human social life. Now, dear listener, what do you think of that? Some of you hearing me talk might think, what is she trying to say? Look, I come from a place where I have seen women take leading roles, top roles, in government and companies. I have seen them being single or married, with kids or without kids. I know that it is possible. But I also know that our society has made women reject their femininity. They are made to be like men, so as to be able to step up the ladder. And I think that it is time that we, as women, step up the ladder as women. Celebrating our femininity. We don't have to flaunt it. It just is. And that means that our rules, our laws, our institutions need to support us as women. Just like it supports men as men because both of us together are needed. Recognizing and affirming that men and women both have the feminine and the masculine inside of them, and our society of the future has to give space for that. The oppression and disempowerment of women is not limited to maternity leave and having to adapt in the workforce. It goes deeper than that. It goes to the actual act of childbirth and pregnancy, an act that has become viewed as a pain, a suffering, a disease. How unfortunate. As I said before, I have made a choice not to have children, but I would have loved to experience pregnancy, but above all, childbirth. 
it must be one of the most empowering experiences or potentially empowering experiences. But I decided not to do it because I don't want to deal with the consequences of raising a child. But childbirth, the most natural thing that a woman can do, where in the old times women used to do it at home with a midwife, and they could even do it alone if need be. This has been considered backwards and retarded. Both my mother and my father were born by a midwife at home. By the time I was born, I was born in a hospital. Everyone I know was born in a hospital. And slowly, midwives disappeared. And some countries in Europe, U.S., uh, Asia, Africa, midwifery is coming back with the mantle of science and medicine with the knowledge about sanitation, about sound practices, and the ancient wisdom of midwifery. I watched a video one time about childbirth in a water birth. Oh my goodness. This woman sat in a bathtub, and behind her was her partner, and he was caressing her as she was moving, breathing. She looked like she was orgasming beautiful. It is possible. Not only is it possible, it could be uh, taught in the old times. Things like what we know call belly dance, the traditional sacred dance of the goddess. That's also teaching a woman how to breathe, how to move her body, how to move the muscles of her stomach, to aid in the process of childbirth, to empower her, to make her stand strong on her feet. In the old times, people understood a woman would lean against a tree to let Mother Earth help her with gravity to bring forth a child. Whoever came up with the idea of putting a woman on her back on a cold table with her uh, bana spread out to give birth? You don't go to the bathroom like that. Who does it serve? It is completely idiotic and counterproductive. It's only good for the doctor or the gynecologist so they can look easily inside. And we let it. Women don't even know that they have other options. And sometimes they don't. Apparently, in some countries, if a gynecologist decides that a C-section needs to happen, a woman does not have the right to say no. She could be criminalized and forced to do a C-section. I believe, again, that there was such a case in Brazil. C-sections are growing at an alarming rate all around the world. Of course, there are medical emergencies Sometimes a C-section just has to happen, but this is a last resort, not a first resort. Women are encouraged to get C-sections. It's easier, they say. You can schedule the time, you can come to the hospital with your dignity, you pack your bag, you choose the date, the doctor doesn't have to be woken up in the middle of the night, and your vagina stays intact, and your husband would appreciate that. We have made a natural 
beautiful, empowering process into a surgical project. Disempowering women. Induced births. Cutting out the belly to extract the fetus. The baby is breech, they say. Even when it's several weeks before the due date. Why can't we accept or trust that the fetus will turn when the time is right, when the soul of this being is ready to be born? We do not give it the time. We have lost trust in the intelligence of the body, lost trust in the intelligence and power of our own bodies. I was turned in the womb, and I came out perfectly healthy. Maybe now it's old-fashioned, but back then, a gynecologist or a midwife prided themselves on being able to turn the child inside the woman. But it's too much trouble, too much work, too much risk. But the risks of C-sections are actually pretty high. More risk of infection. It makes it harder for the woman to conceive afterwards. The milk lactation is more difficult. The healing takes more time. The pain of the mother is bigger. All kinds of things, not to mention the medications she sometimes need to take, which sometimes could even stop her from being able to breastfeed. And that kind of vicious cycle that we create. And again, I am not faulting or shaming women who have chosen or who are forced or who found that this is the best way. It's just not needed in the, the extent that we are doing it. It's become a status symbol. It's as if, you know, regular childbirth is for illiterate and backwards women in villages and... What? How have we departed so much from nature? How can we, now in moving forward, where we are reminded of our vulnerability as human beings, where we're seeing that our bodies are not immune or strong enough to combat diseases, viruses, a society with growing numbers of autism, depression, suicides, feeling of abandonment, of being unloved. It goes back all the way back to the first experience that we have with the parents, the mother and the father, or the mother and the mother, or the father and the father, whatever constellation, the parents, the caregivers. It all goes back to that, and it goes back even further to how we are brought into the world. Think about it. This whole symbolic journey of being in the womb, going through a tunnel, thinking that you're going to die, and then coming out, rebirth, being born into this world. Being born and arriving into the hudun of the parent and feeling muhtadan, cradled, feeling loved, feeling like there's nothing wrong with you. You have everything you need. We have everything we need. We are born 
perfect and complete. We just forget with time. And perhaps in this turning of the time, we will remember our source and our connection to the divine and our connection to nature. With this, I close for the day. Thank you for listening. And until next time, this was Arab Woman Talking. Salam. Goodbye. Tutsins.